This is Boss Ladies. Let's get started. I'm so excited. Boss ladies! Biggest fan. (laughs) Thank you. And I am so excited by what you're doing. I think to start, why don't you give everyone just like a brief introduction on who Camille Capon is and what you're working on, and then we can go from there. Sure. So we met in college at Cornell, which, you know, we go way back. (laughs) And fast forward five years, living in New York City, going to Columbia Business School, and last year started Nightingale, which is my startup. And as you know, my mom had breast cancer twice, once when we were roommates at Cornell yeah. and then a second time during COVID. And so during both of those experiences, realized that people just really want to help. They want to send something, they want to do something, but don't know what to do a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And so people usually kind of opt for flowers. That tends to be the easiest, most appropriate response that people can think of. And yeah. so we received a lot of flowers and that happens a lot when people lose a loved one or are going through long-term illness. But a lot of the times, like it can make the person feel like they're in a funeral home or if yeah. they're dying, it's a reminder of their own mortality. For a lot of reasons, it's not usually the best option. Yeah. Um, sometimes they even have compromised immune systems that they can't be around flowers. They receive them and throw them away. Wait, I didn't even think about that. That's so hard. It happens a lot. Like, especially if you send them to hospitals, the yeah. ICU has to literally throw them away. And people who send them never know that. And yeah, I never knew that. Me neither. Wow. So through this experience, realized that there was just a real opportunity for something else. One of my mom's best friends, actually two of them had had breast cancer previously mm-hmm. and knew all of this, right? Yeah. And they knew they had had experiences where people had sent them care packages that were really helpful. Or mm-hmm. they knew the items that they actually needed when they were going through breast cancer Yeah, and sent her these care packages. And so I asked her at one point, I was like, what has been, you know, the bright moment of these like crappy two years? And she was like, oh my God, my friend sent me this amazing care package. It had things I actually needed in them. Um, and that was kind of my aha moment. And that was how Nightingale was born. Um, and also, so now, just quick yeah. shout out, her mom has been on Boss Ladies. So check yes! out the episode <laughs> with Marilyn Capon um, because she's such a boss lady and a rock star. So just had to call that out. <laughs> yes, couldn't agree more. That was a great episode. <laughs> biased. Yeah, unbiased opinion. We loved it. <laughs> exactly. She killed it. Um, but yeah, so we launched this past year um, on nightingaleguide.com. Check it out. And check it out. <laughs> we have three care packages and they're customizable and they're designed for like very specific moments in life. Can you talk about like what's in those care packages? My favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, we, I have a co-founder, so we have like a, di- a split of work. And mm-hmm. my one of my favorite parts about my split of the work is sourcing the products. So um, the one, for example, that we just launched is called the Stuck at Home Box. So it's designed for someone who might be quarantining from COVID or coming home from surgery, for example. Yeah. So they're home. Like I just sent one to my friend, Alana. She tore her ACL. Uh, so she's home for yeah. a month recovering, and it's the Stuck at Home Box, I think appropriately named. Yes, love um, Yeah, and so that box has a Sudoku, a crossword, non-slip fuzzy stickers, mm-hmm. slippers for walking around the apartment. It has a paint-by-numbers kit and a candle and an eye mask. So things that you can use at home. So yeah. thinking about like where are people, meeting them where they are, if they're home, what kind of things would you want and need? I love that. I think that's amazing. Thank um, you. How do you choose the products since you said you're in charge? Of think that. about that a lot. Yeah. So lots of interviewing. I one of the you know beautiful and tragic things about being in this space is that we talk a lot with people who have either been in the place where they've been a loved one and wanted to give a gift, mm-hmm. or have been a patient or ill or suffering from long term illness. And so we do a lot of interviews and customer discovery that way, and say 
What did you like getting? What made yeah. you happy? What brought a smile to your face? Like those are the questions we're asking because that at the end of the day is our mission is just like bringing a moment of joy in a moment that's can otherwise be joyless. Um, and so they tell us and yeah. I write them down and then I go seek out um, companies that I want to support. That makes sense to be partners with looking for female founders, looking for minority owned businesses. Um, and that's really how we go about it. Yeah. So having those conversations is mostly just to inform our, our product selection. And where, like, where do you want to be five years from now? Oh man. <laughs> I mean, I was a big dreamer. So I feel like I had to ask this question because I mean, let's manifest it. Let's, you know, you heard it here first. Yeah, no. And I, you're right. I, I do think about this a lot and, um, I always have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan, <laughs> but I also always like, I'm ready on any, you know, but at any moment to pivot very quickly. But yeah. the five-year plan, I mean, would be to be running Nightingale and it have expanded mm-hmm. into something much bigger. Right now we're e-commerce and boxes, mm-hmm. but that is, we're in MVP, minimum viable product yeah. stage. The ultimate goal is to be a platform, a community, and we have a lot more offering. So it's the ability to sign up for shifts to drive your friend to the hospital for her chemo infusion. Mm-hmm the ability to actually build a box off of a registry. So your husband, for example, manages and says, these are what she actually likes. This is her size. This is all the things that she needs. This is the hospital like gown that she needs and the pump that she needs at home. And they can actually fill a box off of a registry. That I think is the next phase. And then building out this whole community where people are sharing stories Mm -hmm. and have um, the Intel, the blog, maybe like if you've ever heard of caring bridge, like, incorporating features like that yeah so it's like a one-stop shop to support your friends who are going through long-term illness I love this especially at such a crazy time in the world and I heard you on a different podcast talking about how like the ideal world is you have no customers which is such a weird start obviously (laughs) for a business but that's not our reality right Mm -hmm. and so I think it's amazing that you're building this business to support people as they go through life's challenges which we've learned in the last two years come are too plenty yeah they're they're (laughs) coming left and right unfortunately yeah I think it's amazing. Everyone check it out. Send a box. I'll put a link in the description. That'd be so great. I'll that. give you a promo code for oh, all the listeners. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. So we have a couple different topics to cover today. Um, and I think the first one is really relevant to what we were just talking about of you starting this business based on a personal challenge you had. Like, how did you pick this challenge? And how did you decide that like, this was something you wanted to run with? I know you have a background in food science and and you know that sort of space you've been very interested in and you know what what was so I don't know what was that aha moment that like you knew this was the right problem to solve yeah so to your point my background is all in food I worked in hospitality I went to culinary school I have Mm -hmm. a food science degree so working in e-commerce adjacent to the healthcare industry doesn't necessarily make total sense people are (laughs) always shocked that my startup is not in food (laughs) I have no doubt there will be a food element at some point my vision for the food element <laughs> is actually that a lot of times people have diet restrictions mm-hmm. when they're sick. Um, and yeah. so you could incorporate on the registry type format, hey, I need low acid coffee and then be able to put that into the care mm-hmm. package. So I've already started I to envision that. that because I do think food is such an important part of recovery and yeah. health and wellness. So yes, that is coming for sure. But the aha moment, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where when you have like the aha moment, the epiphany, before you have it, it's it's it doesn't exist. And then after you have the idea, it's like you're kicking yourself by the like how are you not thinking of this earlier? It feels so obvious. Yeah. 
Um, but that is literally what happened. I, I already told the story of how my mom, you know, said, I love getting this care package. And I was like, we can scale that. <laughs> <laughs> that is, we could do this for so many people. And yeah. it literally was an aha moment. And I was like, how does this not exist? Um, so that aha moment happened. And then in terms of pursuing it, it was really because of how it lined up with business school. Mm-hmm. I sat on it, um, the idea for about six months before going to school. And then if I, I didn't do it, if it was, it was like that moment of, if not now, then mm-hmm. when I'm in school, I'm surrounded by resources, a group of people who are going to support me through this. Um, in some ways, business school is busier than ever, but in some ways you have this excess amount of free time that you're able to use with what you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so I just said, I was like, if I don't do it now, I never will. And so I decided to go all in. um, And that's where I met my co-founder. And that felt a bit like fate because we are so well matched um, in so many ways. And I, it felt like all these pieces were coming together. I had to take advantage of the opportunity. I love that. And I think like, do you have any advice or thoughts on like anyone else who's going through a personal problem, like how to a recognize like, Hey, there's something here. And then B take that and actually start doing something about it. Well, I think every business that's ever been created is built out of a personal experience, Mm -hmm. some more intense and personal than others. And some you're in the workplace and you realize that something should work better. And that's how the idea comes to you. So I don't think having a business that's born out of a personal experience is something novel. Every business is, Mm -hmm. but I think it's, uh, this, if you have the entrepreneurial itch, mm-hmm. it's being aware of your surroundings and looking for those moments of friction that I wish this worked better. I yeah. wish there was a product that solved for this. I would buy it. What would I be a consumer of? And then writing them down. And then over time, revisiting that list and seeing which ones inspire you, make you excited and starting to pursue it. I think that's great. And I have to say, so Camille obviously shouted out that we were friends in college. We also lived together for two years. And I just have to say, I think one of the like best life lessons I learned from you, <laughs> oh, excited. you is Googling. Like, yeah. I don't think I understood that you can uh, figure out how to do anything. anything. <laughs> and living with you, it was like, oh, how do we, we'll do this. And I was like, how, do, what? Absolutely. And now, I mean, this podcast was started because I, you know, Googled, how yeah. do you start a podcast? Literally. Like all of this. And so I think that's another thing that maybe we should talk a little bit more about is like yeah. the power of all the information that's around you to get started. Yeah. I also, I mean, that's absolutely true. You can learn anything on the internet (laughs) um, and you don't need to go to business school to start a company. While that was my path, obviously that's not everyone's because there are YouTube videos and I've watched many of them on (laughs) how to start a company, (laughs) literally, and they're helpful. Yeah. Um, What was the original question again? Well, I I mean, yeah, no, the question is just like, with so much information, information out there, like, basically, like, how should, like, people should just get started, I guess. Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's absolutely true. Well, since business school was obviously the path for you, like, I've been asked actually recently, so, you know, I want to share my thoughts on this as well. But I'm curious what you think, like, having gone through, well, you're halfway, oh, no, more than halfway, almost done with I business school. I graduated in six weeks. Yeah. You are literally at the cusp of finishing business school. Has it been worth it? Why did you choose that path? And, you know, just tell us more about it. Yeah. I, and I'm curious your thoughts because it's so dependent on the person. Mm -hmm. Is business school worthwhile for everyone? No. Yeah. (laughs) Is it very worthwhile for some people? Yes. And so I think it's thinking about a couple things. 
the first one is it's expensive, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and so what are you making now? And literally modeling out what would you make when you graduate? So mm-hmm. if the financial piece is what's holding you back, like actually modeling out what job do I think I'll have when I graduate? How much does that job pay? How much income loss is it over the two years? There's a very, like there's a, you can download off of Google financial models mm-hmm. that tell you whether or not the ROI of business school is for you. If finance is your only one criteria, but there's obviously so much more. The other things are, for example, starting a business, like I said, you don't need business school for it, but it was, I have had so many resources and mm-hmm. it was the impetus that I needed and the confidence I needed to do it. I felt as though I didn't know how to start a business. And while Google is there, it can't always help you get over that mental hurdle yeah. <laughs> um, of doing it. And so if you have like a vision that you think would need resources mm-hmm. or the motivation of your peers, great way to do it. Um, and then the last thing I was going to say is if you want to pivot your careers, right? So there's like mm-hmm. a lot of um, benefit that business school can give you in terms of being able to actually change from mm-hmm. one thing to another. That would be otherwise very challenging. Yeah. What are, I, What have you been thinking about? Yeah. I mean, I think to your last point, like, so the person who had asked me about if they should go to, po- uh, to business school was a product manager. Mm-hmm. I'm a product manager and I kind of have found my thing like product management. I love it. I don't see myself leaving the product space at any time soon, except maybe, you know, at some point, maybe I pivot to operations when I'm high up enough or something like that. But for the most part, like I love product. And so I think for someone like me, I could have, if I hadn't gotten a role in product, I could have used business school to get a role in product. But since I got that title, I was like, it doesn't make sense for me to go. And that's what I said to this woman is I was like, look, if you don't want to be in product anymore, for sure, if you like, you know, pending everything you've just talked about, you should yeah. consider business school if that's the right move for you. But I was like, if you're just interested in like moving up in product, the best way I think is to get experience doing that. So my advice yeah. is like, if you are in a career path that's on track to what you're doing and yeah. business school isn't going to accelerate that, mm-hmm. then I don't personally see the point. 100%. But if it's you're in a track where you're like, hey, I'm doing X and like I want to go into consulting and that's like so different, yes. then I think business school is the best way you can do that. I totally agree. Um, I would also say if you aren't sure what you want to do, mm-hmm. business school is not the right answer. <laughs> it is drinking out of a fire hose. So it's like you said, if you're in one thing and you want to move to consulting, great. You have a very clear vision. That's the only way you can make it through business school alive. There's so much. There's so many people. There's so mm-hmm. many resources, professors, types of classes you can take. Without, If you go into business school without a clear vision, it's going to be very difficult and it's mm-hmm. going to be easy to be swept up by the masses. So at Columbia Business School, where I attend, consulting is very popular. And so people who have come in without a clear vision often end up doing consulting because that's what everyone else is recruiting for. Mm-hmm. And so I'd also say, I don't think it's the right place to find yourself. I think yeah. it's a great place to go when you have vision mm-hmm. and it will help you execute on that vision every time. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's great advice. Um, and curious, like any listeners who listen to this, like if you have opinions, like write in, we'd love to hear them. Um I want to pivot a little bit to like time management because you are starting a business. You, I don't know if we called this out, but you have accepted a full-time job starting in July. July. Okay. Running a business, like getting it off the ground, starting or starting a full-time job, currently still in business school. Planning Um, a wedding. (laughs) 
planning a wedding. It's which, also a full-time yeah, job. I have no wedding planner. Wedding. Yeah. Wait, you don't have a wedding planner? I do not. I'm doing it on the side. Okay. So <laughs> added a uh, case in point there. And I travel 15 weeks a year. This year. I, okay. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. So, um, do you sleep? Because it doesn't sound like there's time for that. I sleep a lot. And I think that's I actually don't part you. of I know. <laughs> I think it's part of what makes me efficient, though. I am an efficient person. That is true. But it's I sleep eight hours a night, every night. <laughs> I need to, like, call Bailey on this one. Yes. Call him because we go to bed and we wake up at the same time. So he gets, Bailey is my fiance for listeners. And he's also the secret sauce. So he is very much an equal partner in our relationship mm-hmm. and far as wedding planning goes and anything in our personal lives, keeping our apartment clean, (laughs) planning trips. He does a lot of that for us. So it is not all me, right? And it's the same thing in terms of my relationship with Bailey, but also my relationship with Austin, my co-founder with Nightingale. Mm -hmm. I am not building Nightingale alone. He does more than 50% of the work. Mm -hmm. And so while these things may look like they're all on my plate, they are shared. Mm -hmm. um, And that is the biggest part of it. That's the biggest, you know, secret to it. And then there are things that I really enjoy. I'm not taking that many classes at business school right now. I front loaded my first year knowing that I really wanted to focus on Nightingale. Mm -hmm. So having forethought, planning ahead, of course, are key things. (laughs) But even just going back to what you were saying, like the power of partnership, like you put time and work into those relationships yes. to be healthy. So that's yes. another thing on your list, right? Absolutely. And that's a very real thing, right? Like I do a date night every single week. We never miss it with Bailey, right? I love that. I do a call with Austin every single week. Mm-hmm. We never miss it. Those are important things. And, you know, making sure that you are creating time to build those partnerships, I think is the most efficient use of time. Yeah. <laughs> because one, it's fulfilling. And it makes you happy. And if you are happy, you have less negative emotions. And negative emotions are the number one thing that intervenes with productivity and mm-hmm. efficiency. They they stop innovation. So finding what makes you happy is the biggest key to being productive and spending a lot of time on relationships. And then, of course, planning ahead. And, um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of leisure activities yeah. <laughs> besides the ones that I are passionate about, like traveling and food and cooking and things like that but I mean I think going to your point about efficiency like when I'm like hey do you want to hang out it's like how's three weeks from Tuesday and yes. I'm like great <laughs> sounds good I have a social event seven days a week I go out every single night with somebody it. whether it's Bailey or a friend but yes my calendar is very full efficient <laughs> But you always make time for everyone. Yeah. Like you make it work. So I think with, given that you have all of this on your plate, you do a great job with it. Like yeah. I would say that I take the opposite approach. Yeah. And I am like, I'm the least, I'm so bad at planning. I hate planning. It stresses really? me out. Like even, like even planning like the podcast episodes, like I am like very last minute about making sure I've done my research and all of that. Like I, I shouldn't admit that, but whatever, <laughs> whatever um, works. Hey, but I like great content. I don't know. I'm just kind of like a wing it person. Like, I'm just like, you know, like things are going to work. Like sometimes I'll like make a plan for Tuesday. It gets canceled. Now we see each other. Like I, yeah. Next week. I mean, I actually, for the podcast, I have a lot planned actually, which is unlike me for the next few weeks, just cause you know, we're ramping this up for season three and whatnot. But um, but yeah, I'm very like, it's rare that I have plans far out in advance. If I planned a trip, I, I feel like maybe I'd be like, ah, like two weeks from now, anyone want to go to Miami? Like it wouldn't be, yeah. I, I wouldn't have Googled all the fun things to do in my, like, I just, 
Yeah. It's just funny that we're like polar well, opposites. And there's value but- in that. And like, this will sound like an oxymoron, but when I travel, I plan everything for the most part, but I plan time for spontaneity. <laughs> it's true though. I've learned to me, the formula is like the first couple of days you're in a town, you, you walk around, you do tours mm-hmm. to understand what there is to offer. And then I always have a half day free after that, because I usually find out oh, you should go visit this winery or you should go to this place. And I've already bucketed free time to allow myself to do it. Yeah. So I love that. There's a power, <laughs> I think. And I'm always envious of people who have like extreme spontaneity. Um, but for me, it doesn't work. I just have too much and I get disappointed yeah. when I'm not able to accomplish it. And for me, planning makes sense. But um, also, I again, I think there's a lot of value in spontaneity and anyway. Yeah. I mean, look, I think there's, like you said, there's value in both. And like, don't get me wrong, when I do, like, Let's say I'm like going away for a weekend and I like Google things to do. And yeah. usually I won't like plan it in the sense of like Saturday morning we're doing this, but I'll have like items I want to hit. Same as like today. I was like, there were topics that I wanted to make yeah. sure we hit. Um, but I always get really proud of myself when I do plan because I'm right. like, this is so unlike me. Look, we have plans. <laughs> totally. Well, it's also like I prepped for this on the subway over, mm-hmm. but I planned to prep it on the subway <laughs> over. So like, it's not like I'm planning this weeks out, yeah, but I yeah, like, yeah. I know like I've mentally, you know, I have that 30 minute ride. I know I can do that in 30 minutes. Yeah. And so it's like, I compartmentalize. I also think the key to success for me on the spontaneity side is I'm so lucky all my friends are planners. That's the key. Find type A friends and then you're good. I'm like, like every time, like Zoe, for example, she's one of my close friends. Like, it's like, hey, like, do you want to do dinner Saturday night? She's like, yeah, like, do you want to make a res or should I make a res? And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have even thought to make a res. (laughs) So funny. We all need a Zoe in our life. (laughs) Like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I can do that. I Um, mean, hey, I also like to have type A friends because then it takes it off my plane. I'm like, great, you make the res. (laughs) I will say that when I'm with people who are more like me on the, like, don't plan things, I then find myself planning. So I think it's just, there's a spectrum. It depends on the activity. So uh, you're a female founder. What have you learned in that process? And do you consider the fact you're a female founder often? Or is that not something that really has to cross your mind? It crosses my mind a lot Mm -hmm. because exactly how you phrased it, right? Female founder, right? If I were a male founding a company, I would just be a founder. And so there is still this label. And hey, I have a sweatshirt literally that says female founder on it. So I'm not (laughs) saying it's a bad thing. I'm proudly a female founder. But it is still a thing, right? It is not the norm. Um, And there is still, it's interesting. People expect you when you're founding a company, especially in business school, to go out and raise money from venture capital, Mm -hmm. angel, um, but to raise money. I want to bootstrap this to the extent that I can. Mm -hmm. And it's always surprising to men in business school that I'm not going out to fundraise because they think, oh, wow, it would be so easy for you to fundraise as a female founder. Well, that's just not true. (laughs) It's so funny because a fraction of VC money goes to female founders, very small fraction, yet they think that it's way easier because VCs want to have diversity in the founders that they're investing in. And they are looking, I'm sure, to Mm -hmm. some extent to increase the amount of female founders in their portfolio. But it's so interesting. I'm like, it's still so hard. You're Mm -hmm. still fighting so much bias. And you're still, if I were to pursue the route of raising money from venture capitalists, doing something that's very hard. Fundraising is very hard. So I say that to say there are so many, you know, 
men and women in business school that just think that because you're a female founder, you're going to do things X way or Y mm-hmm. way or that you'll be treated X way or Y way. The other thing I would say is when you are thinking about building a culture within your organization, how you work with others, mm-hmm. managing, I mean, I think about it so often. They see me as a woman, right? They have mm-hmm. embedded expectations of how I'm going to operate, how I'm going to talk based on my gender. Mm-hmm. We all do. I do as well, of course. And I think there's a tendency to maybe want to counterbalance with like male traits. Mm -hmm. That's what typically, you know, very successful people have had are these very masculine traits. Mm -hmm. And so trying to balance the feminine with the masculine, the aggressiveness and the assertiveness, but with the kindness and Mm -hmm. grace that's expected of women is very hard. It is a tightrope act and I feel it every single day. And while I think to an extent in this world it is necessary to be successful, it weighs on me. It is hard. And I see other men doing the same thing I'm doing, starting a business or just navigating the business world of a company and they only have to do one. They Mm -hmm. only have to be the aggressive and the assertive um, and smart, right? Some of the other expected things, but like they don't have to balance this. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, it's. That's yeah. what I feel. No, it makes sense. I don't think, I mean, I've talked to a lot of female founders. I don't think I've ever talked to one that was like, it was easy. Everyone wanted to give me money. I will have moments where like, I don't even recognize any sort of like gender inequality. I'm not paying attention of it. And then it takes one thing mm-hmm. for me to recognize it. And then I, I like mentally turn around and look back and I'm like, oh my God, there's that, there's that, there's that, there's yeah. that. And I wasn't even aware of it because we're, we're full speed ahead. Right. We're so focused on like accomplishing our goals, building out those things that sometimes these things just go, it's not that they go over like my head or over our heads. It's like, you're just so focused on the outcome right. that you're not always necessary or you, me, whatever, whoever thinking about the process, thinking about like each of these steps. And then all of a sudden something happens and you're like, like I question everything. I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh my God. And that interaction and that interaction, what did those go those ways? because of my gender. You know, Mm -hmm. I work in a very male dominated space. I've started this podcast in hopes of helping young women in their careers navigate a lot of these situations. And I think that, you know, being a female founder, going through the fundraising process in venture capital is no easy feat. And even, you know, to your point of like, oh, well, you know, they're trying to make more of an effort. It's like, yeah, they're trying to check boxes so that they don't look bad for the fact they're not investing in female founded companies. And it's this like implicit bias that people clearly aren't, oh, I don't think it's intentional. Like, I don't think people are intentionally, if they are, you suck and you're a horrible person, but I really don't, like, I like to see the best in people. I don't think it's intentional, but for some reason, the numbers show over and over and over that when given the opportunity to invest in a male founded company or female founded company, the money mostly goes to the men. Well, you know, what's interesting. I, because I'm me and the, the so much foresight and planning, I was doing research on when I was looking for a co-founder on what should I look for in a Mm co-founder and if I were to raise money, what would be the most helpful and so much research research shows that the most powerful co-founder relationships are male, female, not female, female, and not male, 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 female. It's the balance and both genders come with such unique perspectives. And I found that to be incredibly true. I'm very glad I have a male founder. I think he brings to the table things that I would not see. I have my own bias and we balance each other in a really powerful way. And 
I hope that if we ever were to go, you know, raise mm-hmm. funds, I would be able to lean on statistics of look at the success rate of male female founded companies yeah. versus male male or female female, and they would see that as opposed to just wanting to invest in a female because they know that they think that they should do that. I'm so glad you said that because so I actually had an episode with Dr. Susan Fleming, and she talks about how gender bias is a human issue, not a women's issue. Totally, and I. Like, I love that you said that because I think I don't ever want people to think that it's like men are the enemy or men are worse. It's like, no, you just need both. It's equality. You need both at the table so that we have a diverse and all races and all, you know, sexualities and genders to give the most diverse perspective. Because at the end of the day, you're building these things for all the people that walk the face of the earth. So how can you plan for that if you're not including all of them in the conversations of what you're building? Exactly. Yeah. I love this topic. I do too. Um, Yeah. What are your thoughts on on imposter syndrome? Well, while I think this topic is pretty overdone. Yes. (laughs) I I agree. So. That's why I wasn't. Yeah. And I I also, I mean, I do think it's overdone. But when asked, what I say is that I think when I have imposter syndrome, I have a mantra that I say to myself. And it's literally that not knowing what I'm doing Mm -hmm. is also a superpower. Yeah. especially when it comes to found it comes to founding a company. There's a way that a lot of people have done it. There's a checklist that you can follow that you can find on mm-hmm. Google that will tell you how to start a company and, or you can go the business school route and that it is a specific route that I'm not really following. Mm-hmm. And so when I feel as though I am out of my league, I just remember that not knowing what I'm doing is my superpower. I'm thinking about things in an innovative way. I'm actually going through the effort and the hard work of thinking about what makes the most sense for mm-hmm. me. And that will make you also question your abilities and your self-worth. But it, at the end of the day, is your superpower. And so I, I kind it. of have found a mantra that works for me that allows me to twist the narrative. I love that. All right. My last question to to ask you on this podcast. Oh, I should have prepared for this. <laughs> I should have known it was coming. Greatest accomplishment. Yes. What is one of your greatest accomplishments? (laughs) Uh, One of my greatest accomplishments is absolutely founding Nightingale. It gives me purpose. Mm -hmm. It makes me excited. And I have learned more founding Nightingale than I have learned in two years in business school. Um, Because you're learning as you go. And I feel the immense joy when someone receives a care package, sends me a photo if I'm the one who sent it or sends in to our, our email or Instagram and talks about what it meant to them or it made them smile or Mm -hmm. posted on Instagram. And that is fuel. Mm -hmm. And so in this moment in time and this year where it's a lot of what I'm thinking about, it does feel like one of my greatest. And I think it should. It's amazing. So thank you. Thank you. you. Uh, This is so fun. I love you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Boss Ladies. Check back next week for a new episode. Visit us at www.bossladiespodcast.com for more information about the show or follow us at Boss Ladies Podcast on Instagram. Rate, like, and follow the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Mm-hmm.